0: Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion meets the world's deep need. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Brian Ewell, pastor of St. Luke United Methodist Church in Lexington. Brian is also an Asbury Seminary alum and adjunct professor here at the seminary. He also happens to be my pastor, and I'm super excited to get to talk to him today and share that conversation with you. So in today's conversation, we talk about his journey to come to Christ, how he and his wife, Mandy, planted Revolution United Methodist Church in Louisville, their transition to St. Luke this past summer, and women in ministry. So I hope you enjoy, let's listen. Did you watch the game last night?
1: I did. Actually, I was at it.
0: <gasps> you were at
1: it? I did. Yeah, Mandy and I went.
0: Oh, that's so exciting. We had a good time. That's awesome. <laughs> it was a good game.
1: It was a good game. It was a little too good. Yeah. yeah they they kind of got up by 11, and then they just sort of it got down to five, and then that was it.
0: Yeah. But it was
1: fun. It was a good game.
0: Yeah, we did what Kentucky is really good at this season, and... We have got to learn the kill instinct.
1: They don't pull away.
0: No, and we've got to do that.
1: Yes. Like, I think they were up by 13 at one point, and it was sort of, go put them away. Like, you know, let's bring in the bench warmers. Right? But, alas... I know. It got interesting for a little bit. But yeah. they pulled it out. Yeah. Richards had a good game.
0: I am impressed with Nick Richards because, I am He's mean, getting better. My gosh. For the past few years, it's like, when are, when are you going to start showing up? But he is showing up had, consistently more Hagen's often. Hagen's had
1: a good game. Yes. Yes. So um, Maxie did not. Yeah. But this is basketball.
0: Yeah, and I mean, we do this every year with cows' teams. Yeah. And, you know, it's a roller coaster. But then in March, most of the time, we usually wind up with a good team.
1: They turn it on.
0: We turn it I on. I got I got high hopes for them. Yeah. You know,
1: they, they didn't fight like the guy at Kansas, so that was a win. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, that's big.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is big. So, yeah, because I remember, because you're my pastor not on the podcast, right. you know, like, we go to St. Luke where you're the pastor at, and so that was, I think, basically my first question for you when I met you, because you came from Louisville at a church you planted there, and I was like, mm-hmm. so are you a Louisville fan or a Kentucky fan? That's
1: right. You said uh, something in the effect of, you know, I might have a hard time if you're a Louisville fan, so, no, we're we're rooting for the cats. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, no. we can be friends. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about how you got called into full-time ministry, um, So, because I know you had a master of business, how, and you've talked about that a little mm-hmm. bit in church. How did you go from that to being a pastor?
1: Okay. Well, just to be fair, so there's uh, clarity, I didn't finish my MBA. That's okay. part of the story, though, okay. so it's it's a good part of the story. Uh, I grew up Roman Catholic, love my roots uh, now probably more than I appreciated before, and um, our family was, uh, go to church every Sunday, doesn't matter if you're sick or, you know, on the way out into the next uh, life, but <laughs> you're going. And um, I had a lot of it was, it was tough for me. I had a lot of questions, and a lot of those questions really didn't get answered along the way. And I don't think that's anybody's fault. I think it's uh, circumstantial and, and maybe even providential. So at 15, uh, I did confirmation... And that was sort of the beginning of the end for me. Um, A lot of the questions that I had really never got answered, and um, one of the nagging ones was, okay, we rely on tradition a lot, and I appreciate that, tradition's great, but what does Scripture have to say? And it always went back to, well, this is just what we do, you need to get in line. And I I couldn't always... By that. Mm-hmm. So I was going to be respectful to my parents and at the end of school, figure it out from there. And it was interesting. I can almost see the point of departure. Uh, I went away to a small Catholic uh, private school on a golf scholarship. For, the, college. for college. Okay. For undergrad. And the first day we got there, there was this opening convocation, kind of like what Asbury does. Yeah. And so my, my parents, it was horribly disrespectful on my part, they said, hey, let's go to Mass. And I said, hey, I need to get this dorm room set up, and if you guys want to go, go ahead. And it was interesting how, from that point forward, and, and maybe even you know before, while even I was going to church, um, I was really lost. So fast forward two years, um, and what was interesting was all along the way, there were these glimmers of God. Mm. Uh, for example, we had a huge uh, tournament that we would go play in the spring and it was on Easter weekend. So here we are. And, and you know, I wasn't going to church at all. and I'm thinking, like this can't be good. I'm playing golf on Easter Sunday and eh. but I met Mandy. Um, my wife now, mm-hmm. uh, my sophomore year of college. And She's the best. She, I like her, thanks. <laughs> That's good. I like her too. <laughs> um, she introduced me to a very different Jesus than I knew, one who wanted a relationship, and that was so foreign to me, because God was existent, but out there, uninterested, that kind of thing. And so, you know... We started to attend her dad's church. She is the daughter of a United Methodist pastor. Oh, wow. And um, very different experience. Yeah. Very different.
0: Can I ask what they thought about you and their daughter in the beginning? Because, you know, you were Roman Catholic, but weren't even practicing Catholicism at that time, and then you show up at the United Methodist Church.
1: Yeah, we'll just say it was a hard sell for a while. Okay, okay. And I don't blame them, you know, um, somebody outside their tradition, somebody who's trying to figure it all out, and admittedly, Mandy was so much further down the road than I was in her faith. I still had lots of questions, never doubting God's existence, but just why does any of it matter? Mm -hmm. So by the end of school, um, we started to go to church some, And then there was a conversion experience that I had, and it was on a Good Friday at an Assembly of God church of all places, (laughs) right? So You're
0: getting all the denominations.
1: Exactly, and who would have thought I would have ended up there? And, you know, my tradition, there was no altar call or anything like that, and the pastor said, if you've been away from God for a long time, and you're ready to come back, and you want to know him personally and hear his voice and all of that... Then I want you to st- close your eyes and stand up. So everybody's got their eyes closed, and I stand up. And I pulled Mandy with me because, like, I didn't know what was going to happen I'm not next. standing up by myself. Right, right on. So, you know, I did that, and I opened my eyes. I figured, who isn't going to stand up right now? There's like 20 of us, and they whisk us off into this back room, and this guy's praying over us and praying in tongues, and this was just so <laughs> different <laughs> yeah. for me. Yeah? Uh, but it was great, and that was kind of the start of it. Um, during, the, during that period, I was working for a CPA firm, working on my MBA, and, uh, you know— we went to different churches. Uh, We went to Rob Bell's church that was really big at the time, Mars Hill in Grand Rapids. Um, We went a few times to Ed Dobson's church, Calvary Baptist. But we kept coming back to this Methodist church where dad was. And and the big thing was, um, there was a a banker and a guy who I knew who went to church there, and he really started to disciple and mentor me. Nice. I didn't know what that was, because I had never experienced it before, but you know, he was good for me, and so we really plugged in there and got involved in serving and those kinds of things. Yeah. So yeah, that's where it started anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. How did you go from just being a layperson? What was that journey like to become a pastor?
1: Unexpected, really. Um we were getting involved in in serving, we had a great Sunday school class that we were a part of, it was filled with people who were pretty much our age, you know, plus or minus five years or so, and um, my father-in-law, every once in a while, he couldn't make a hospital call because the church was about 30 minutes away from downtown where I worked, and he would say, hey, would you mind stopping by and seeing such and such a person? And so I would do it, you know, you're just, Going and saying hi to people and having yeah. a prayer for them and that kind of thing, and then we we would lead um, on occasion some studies or that sort of thing, and really I just had a call experience and tell one, me about that. Yeah, one night in the middle of the night, um, I would read through the Bible at this point, and all of this was new, and we were I was really growing and really felt and heard. Uh, God's voice so clear, and it was, Brian, I want you to be a pastor in the Methodist system. I want you to love and lead my people. I want you to minister the Word and bring revival everywhere you go.
0: Like, this is an audible voice.
1: Yeah, I mean, audible in the sense that I heard it clearly. Now, if you were in the same room, would you have heard it? I I doubt it. Right, um, but you knew. I knew, Mm -hmm. and it was so scary (laughs) because, you know... I'm, I'm in an MBA program, I've got a good career, um, I'm making good money, we're serving in our church, and, you know, I'm really learning how to love God and all of those kinds of things, and I didn't have a frame of reference for any of that sort of thing. Pastors were the kids who grew up in church, and, you know, they knew the Bible forwards, backwards, and sideways, and that wasn't me. Right. So I really struggled with, is this real? Yeah. And I uh, had some good friends and my mentor, and we talked about it. And I think it became a question of, okay, maybe this call's real, but when do you really act on it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So after you knew, were there doubts after that? Or did you just, like, I know, and I'm going to go?
1: Uh, t- tons of doubts. Okay, good. Good. Tons. I'm glad you're normal. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like... You know, or at
0: least maybe I'm glad I'm normal. <laughs>
1: no, you're not. I'm not normal. You, you, you have a chance <laughs> at it, that's for sure. I'm definitely not normal. Uh, yeah, I mean, so it was, is this real? Why me? Um, I've got this four or five year period of my life that, you know, wasn't rooted in Christianity or holy living or any of, anything like that clearly, God, you either had bad tacos or you got the wrong guy. And I told Mandy, um, my wife, we were married by then. Um, We had been married for a few years. And I said, hey, you know, I really think God is calling me to be a pastor. And I told her in the middle of Meijer, which was not a very good idea.
0: (laughs) Great timing. Yeah.
1: So she just basically dropped everything and said, no, you have heard wrong... I'm not doing this, like, my family has done this, you have no idea what you're in for. And I said, you know, maybe you're right, and I just started to pray, and I said, God, you gave me this amazing lady who, you know, led me to you and turned my life around and all of these things, so if you really want me to do this, you're going to have to talk to her, (laughs) like, I'm not going to try to win that battle. And a few weeks later, she said, I really think you need to do this at some point. And so it became this question of, of when. hmm And it, it, it's funny. I think once we said y- yes, I sort of figured it would be, we'll go do this when I'm 35 or 40. I wanted to make partner where I was, all of those kinds of yeah. things first. I'm in this MBA thing.
0: How old were you when? Uh, um,
1: yeah, the call experience, I was about 25.
0: Okay.
1: Um, you know, so I was four years into a career. hmm And uh, three years into a career, you know, all kinds of different goals, and it was like once we said yes, my career started to. I started to have you know problems focusing at work. Did I really want to be there? Is this really what I want to do with my life? Mm -hmm. And there were a number of experiences. Um, uh, My mentor and I, we kind of got crossways about things, and. You know, sort of a, hey, we thought you were headed for partner, and you seem to have it all wrong now. And all of a sudden I went, gosh, it's it's not so rosy here. No. Yeah. Is now the time. hmm And we came down to Asbury and visited, and, uh, you know, what, within nine months? I, you know, we found out we had a church, two churches in Kentucky we were going to wow. serve. And we wrote our letters of resignation on the way back and gave our resignation and you know the rest is history. yeah. yeah. so
0: yeah, so I know you planted a church in Louisville, but mm-hmm. that do- it doesn't sound like that happened. Like that wasn't your next step. Like you left the CPA firm and yeah. then did that. you came to Asbury mm-hmm. and then and yeah, so tell me the next tell me the next step.
1: Yeah. Uh, so a uh, quit. Uh, The firm, we moved in May, uh, July, no, yeah, early July of 2002 uh, to come here and start an MDiv, and first class I had was uh, philosophy, and it was great. I was so excited, and we moved from a town of 750,000 people to a town of two (laughs) o four. (laughs)
0: Were you living in Wilmore?
1: Uh, No, we were living in a little town called Mackville. Okay. And I had two churches. Mandy and I had two churches that we pastored. And I really thought, you know, what I loved about Asbury was you didn't just get the head knowledge, you got the heart knowledge too. And I figured if I could do something practical, kind of a pastor as you go, Mm
0: -hmm. it would
1: help give some great experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like practicing what you're learning in the moment instead of waiting the three or four years after when you graduate to then practice it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, we just dove right in and pastored two churches and did my MDiv.
0: Which is a lot when you're going to school. Well... Yeah, it
1: helped. I didn't. We didn't have kids at the time. Okay. Yeah. So, it's still a lot. Yeah. But... It was. I mean, it. Yeah. You, know, you gotta. You gotta manage your time.
0: Yeah. You gotta hustle. You got. You gotta. You <laughs> yeah. gotta
1: hustle. But <laughs> it, it was good, and we love those churches. Still talk to a few of the the folks uh, from those churches, mm-hmm. and it was a great experience. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So how did you then plant a church, revolution in Louisville?
1: Sure. Uh, at the end of. 2006, or middle of 2006, I, I graduated, uh, was moved or transferred, appointed is probably the right word, to St. Paul in okay. Louisville as the associate pastor. And about halfway through, this bishop came to town named Lindsey Davis.
0: Oh, yes.
1: And everybody loves, and I love uh, Bishop Davis. Great, great man. And, uh, we talked a bit, and he said, "Hey, what do you think about church planning?" And and to be honest with you, I don't think we were the greatest at church planning. There was one church here, and part- two churches in Lexington that had done really well mm-hmm. um, with church planting, but you know, other than that, it really wasn't a thing. And so I said, "Yeah, I'll pray on it." And eventually, there was a seminar, and he said. Hey, look! Why don't you give this seminar a try? And so I went to the went to the seminar on it, put on by Path One, and uh, all of the traits of church planners—being uh, a bit of a maverick and wanting to do things yeah. differently and reach people with the gospel—I was like, "Oh man, this is me!" And so I said, "All right, I'm in." And he says, "Great, give me a plan." And I'm thinking, "Oh crud! Give I'm gonna have plan. to go do this." <laughs> And so, you know, the senior pastor at uh, St. Paul at the time was really great about hey, what could it look like? Is it possible to plant a church out of here? And so I came up with a mother daughter model of church planting. And basically, that means you're going to take a certain size or population of people from an existing church and replant it into a new community of faith that might have a partnership but it's not a direct connection to the Mother Church. And so we took a tenth, uh, about 70 people, from St. Paul, where we were, and planted Revolution, and that was in 2010.
0: Wow. So then after that, what was the planting process? Like, what did you learn as you were planting?
1: Sure. Uh, Yeah, church planting is kind of like the Wild West, you know, and it's— you start up with this group of people and we had so the the process I guess let me back up the process would be in January of 2010 we put a first a letter out hey are you interested in doing this thing and by May we had a commitment Sunday we had about it was 65 or 70 right about at the number of people to come and do this and there was a three-year commitment from the annual conference to help us financially. Nice. And so we figured the thing that we need to do is just grow as fast as possible. And so, you know, the key for really any church, not just church plants, is developing a culture of invitation. Mm,
0: Yeah.
1: You know, invite, 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 invite.
0: How did you do that, though?
1: Yeah. The big thing was we had people make a list of 50 people. Who are 50 people that you can be actively praying for and inviting to come to church? Wow. And a lot of the, the training methods that we tried to use for invitation was first recognizing that, especially in, we'll call it the South Midwest or the northern part of the South, a lot of people will tell you that they go to church. Yeah. The question you need to ask is, how often?
0: Yeah. Yeah, Right. Yeah, so everybody goes, yeah.
1: Every, it's, it's unpopular to not go to church. Yeah, everybody
0: believes in God, and everybody goes to church.
1: But how often? Yeah. And what we found was a lot of people would tell you, I go to this big church because it's just kind of easy, and they might go Christmas and Easter, they might go once a month, they might go once a quarter... And if you take a vested interest, because, I mean, God calls us to love people, so this isn't a fake sort of a thing. If you love people and you begin to invite, you'll never cease to be amazed at what can happen.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so, you know, as we started the church in June of 2010, we had ah, about 70, 75 people our first Sunday, and our idea was we're going to do worship twice a month until we hit a hundred. And we got to Fourth of July, the Sunday after Fourth of July, whatever that was, um, we had over a hundred.
0: Wow. So
1: I called my coach and I'm like, well what 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 do we do? He goes, Well, Brian, you dummy. You you go. <laughs> I'm like, but we're not ready. He goes, well, this is how it works. This yeah. is book of acts stuff. <laughs> and and that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And I think church planning is sort of like building the 747 as it's taking off down the runway
0: which is kind of frightening but kind of fun at the same time yeah yeah especially if you know because people who have done this in any calling because nothing is easy right they're, they're like you have to know that you know before you step out and do it because it's going to be hard at yeah. some point anything is yeah and you have to be sure that i'm doing the right thing
1: yeah and you just that's exactly right and yeah. then you just go
0: yeah, it's just hard to know, I think, that this is the right thing, especially when it gets hard.
1: I don't... Yeah, and I don't think you ever do. Yeah? yeah I mean, you, you know, but I don't know that you know exhaustively. Do you know what I mean? hmm So there's... I think there are a lot like life or ministry in any context, you have a pretty good basis of faith to go on, you know, sort of like your call... You know God has called, and yet all along the way, there are these test points of, are you going to keep going? And that's Mm -hmm. where you, I think, the spiritual formation part of it comes in of, hey, if you're not praying and reading your Mm -hmm. scriptures and learning and growing and being in community with other people, it's just easy to stop. Mm -hmm. But... You you have enough of those disciplines in your life, and the tendency is when it really gets hard, and you run out of parts as you're building the 747 going down the runway, that's where the Holy Spirit really starts to take over, and and you see things you never thought you would. Does that make sense? Yeah.
0: Can you tell me about one of those test points for you that helped you grow? Because I think the easy thing is, when we're talking about this, like, you planted this church nine years 10 years ago now Mm -hmm. and have transitioned to a different church Mm -hmm. since then and i think it's easy to look at it now and it's like you know like hit the high points but we both know that it wasn't always that way so what were some of the test points or like one of them that you could share yeah and how did that help you grow
1: that's a good question i one of the early ones came maybe about two years after we were in um the Church had grown to about 135 or 40 people, mm-hmm. maybe not as quickly as you want, and that's hard because you go to great planting conferences like Expo or you know, Asbury's Put Stuff On, and there's this sense of, if you plant it, they will all come, right? and if you're not a thousand people big in your third year, you're doing it wrong. Right. So that that's one area of, of maybe some self-doubt that starts to creep mm-hmm. in. And the thing that I found along the way was it's amazing to get catalytic growth like that. More often than not, it's going to be the slow and steady sort of grind that mm-hmm. gets you there. Uh, and in the middle of that, we had um, there was there was uh, a few families who were maybe discontent is the right word mm-hmm. with, where the Church was, uh, maybe a couple of the theological distinctives, and us being Wesleyan, and they raised a ruckus, we'll call it. And there were about five or six families out of it who, you know, I was really concerned, are they going to leave? And so I think you tend to go into protect mode, mm-hmm. like, what if these people leave? Is the Church going to make it? And what does that say about me as a pastor, and and I'm supposed to love these people and be their... their you know guide and this kind of thing yeah, I'm but supposed it's to be hard. the like, Oh, painful. yeah. And what I learned was um, I had to let him go. And I just said, you know, if this is really what you believe and you believe that God is calling you to something else, you're not my people, you're God's people. And I just want to bless you and let me know wow. how I can help you land elsewhere. And they were shocked. yeah, and they left and there was a lot of questions of, Brian, what are you doing? And I think if that hadn't happened, um, the church would have never broken the 200 barrier. Mm, mm -hmm. It was a great growth experience for me, I think for our staff, and for our community.
0: Yeah. How did that change how you looked at growth and kind of discipleship?
1: Yeah. Growth and discipleship. I think...
0: uh... Because you were, I mean, you're thinking, I'm sorry, you're thinking, but like you were, if you're three families... That could be 15 people if they're parents and kids and whatever. So, like, thinking about it, it's going to decrease your actual number. Yeah. But not that people leaving church is a good thing, but it ended up helping you guys grow in other ways, too. Yeah. So how how did you be content with that?
1: Yeah, John 15 was a great companion during that time. And just the nature of the cutting and the pruning of the vine, and, you know, recognizing that uh, I think that our tendency, at least my tendency, I'm going to speak generally to, but our tendency as pastors is our identity gets so wrapped up in the size of our church, how happy people are, um, and the assumption gets made that unless there's complete and total peace and unity, like you've done it wrong. And yet, I don't I don't get that sense out of the book of Acts or mm-hmm. anything like that. And so God really got a hold of me during that period. And, and um, churches try to be all things to all people, but I'm not sure that's really possible. Yeah. And so recognizing, hey, there's a lot of great parts of the kingdom that can serve folks who aren't content or who aren't growing in their own relationship with God... And, and let them serve them. And maybe the best thing for them is that God blesses them wherever they go next. And God blesses the church that you're at and allows it to grow and flourish because new people are required to step up. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: that does make sense. Yeah. So now I'll fast forward a little bit. But yeah. now you're at St. Luke and you came last summer, right? So, and we love it. Yeah, we love we having love you. It. Yeah. It's great. So. But what is, what was that transition like? Because this obviously wasn't your first transition. But sure. what was it like to and how do you uh, end one season and start another season well? Because you did not plant St. Luke, but I think that as we're talking to church planners or people who might be church planners, mm-hmm. starting a season and ending it well is kind of the life. It's the life of all of us, but especially people in ministry.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was a shock. Um, I think a lot of it was when you church plant, it's almost like you're kid, and that's good and bad. It's good because the church takes on an identity that you've helped form and protect and all of those kinds of things, mm-hmm. and it's bad because you've got to also recognize, like, this isn't your church, this is Christ's church.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like letting your kid go to college.
1: That's exactly what it felt like. Yeah. So there was grief, you know, to be sure. Um, we were really excited about the prospects of St. Luke because we'd heard so many great things about it, and uh, knew of the long-standing tradition of great leaders that St. Luke has had, and um, you know, it felt like it was a Church that could fit us, and some of the things we felt like we could help St. Luke do fit within what we had done in our own experiences in ministry, Mandy and I. So that part was exciting. I think the, you know, the hard part was just the, how do you let go, and trust that whatever good parts you've done, because you know you've done bad ones too, right? That's leadership. <laughs> yeah, that's life. Oh my gosh that that's what matters, and that's what left a mark, and that's what God used you to do in that season. So, you know, I guess the the good part is you got to do it, right? Not yeah. everybody gets to plan a church. The hard part is you get to, you've got to leave it, and uh, I think the the part you've got to trust is uh, no matter what, When you leave, because everybody's going to leave their church plan someday, that um, God used you in that specific season for a specific reason, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the piece that that we made with it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I listened to Annie F. Downs on the That Sounds Fun podcast, and so she—I'm going to borrow this question from her, because she likes to ask this of her guests. As you you went through transition last year, and still kind of this year, because I think it takes— it takes a season of transition to actually be in a new season, Yeah, um, at least from my own experience. So, which I don't have a ton of experience, but you know. You have um, tons of experience. Tons, yes. <laughs> no. But um, what do you know about God this year that you didn't know about Him last year?
1: Ooh, wow. That's a great question. What do I know about God this year that I didn't know last year? I think there's a sense in which you know something to be true, and then you experience it to be true.
0: Yeah, say more on that.
1: Um, so most people who have been around a church for a small or even great amount of time know the saying, God is faithful. I think I experienced it more this year than I have in a long time. Hmm. And, you know, the, the way I experienced that and Mandy experienced that is we were in Louisville for 13 years, yeah, which is a decent amount of time. And our, you know, part of my family, all of my family moved there.
0: Um, And your kids grew up there. That's the only home that they've known.
1: That, that was, uh, yeah, their buddies, the whole Mm -hmm. bit. And so, you know, you get uprooted from that and you move not really a very far distance, it's only, what, 50, 60 miles down yeah. the road to Lexington, the right side of I-64, right? hmm. Um, and you wonder, you know, I, the, the question I was asking myself is, now that I've been out of uh, the normal flow of church life, how how does it work for a planter with this different set of experiences to walk into an established church, and it, is that going to be okay? Is mm-hmm. it going to be good for them? Um, and so far, so good. Yeah. You know, it, is it going to be okay for the kids? And I, I really think in so many ways they've flourished mm-hmm. uh, in moving here. You know, how is it going to be moving to a different neighborhood, and and are we still going to be able to reach people, and, and all of those questions, and, and really what I've come to see is... As much doubt and concern and worry and all the other junk that builds up Mm -hmm. that's so human.
0: Mm hmm But so real, too.
1: Yeah, good point. God just works it out. It's Mm -hmm. like, hey, I got this. I'm faithful. Yeah. I'm going to show you exactly why I'm sending you. I'm going to show you exactly what I want you to do. And uh, your family, yeah, I got them, too.
0: Yeah. How have you seen his faithfulness? Because I hear people talk about God is faithful. Mm -hmm. How do you know that, and know that it's from Him?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good question too.
0: Sorry, I'm giving you. I sent you questions before the people listening don't know it, but so we've suddenly taken a dive a different direction. So I'm throwing him questions that he hasn't seen before.
1: I like it. I like it. I love curve curveballs. It's proof that God is faithful, right? (laughs) Right. And maybe that's it. Maybe that's really it, is that there's so much that's unexpected, and uh, coming from the the background that I do and being maybe a little off-the-chart type-A personality and, hey, once we get the vision or once we have a Mm -hmm. direction, we're going to run in that direction, and it's never going to change, and then all of a sudden it gets turned completely upside down... And you realize, in something that could be anxiety riddled and um, painful, and all of those kinds of things, there's peace. Mm. To me, that's where you see God's faithfulness. And it's yeah. not to say that you know you're you have to experience peace to see God's faithfulness. For I sure. mean, there, there can be a war zone all around you, but there can you can still have a not just a religious feeling, but a but a belief, um, a knowing that goes deeper than a head knowledge. That I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be right now, mm-hmm. and to me, that's that's witness to God's faithfulness.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, that's so good. So I know this because I go to St. Luke, but everybody who's listening to this does not go to St. Luke. Sure. So. The goal of St. Luke is to have Jesus Christ in every life. Mm -hmm. Um, But we don't just want to stay inside the walls of St. Luke. We want to go outside. So how is, I'm going to say St. Luke, but there's people at St. Luke who are doing this. I feel like sometimes I, we talk about churches, it's just like St. Luke is doing this. But no, there's people behind us, and I think that's important. How is St. Luke and the people there equipping the people in the congregation to get outside and kind of take the church So it's not just—the gospel isn't just for us, but it becomes for other people, too.
1: Yeah. There's a few different avenues that we're starting uh, to do that, and to be sure, St. Luke's been doing these things for a while. Oh yeah, for sure. yeah. Yeah, maybe we're just trying to renew emphasis on these things, but developing a culture of invitation. Yeah. You know, if churches can help people to be aware of and be intentional about being an inviting kind of a culture. And and lots of people get freaked out by the word evangelism because it presumes, well, I have to convert somebody. Yeah. Developing a culture of invitation, it doesn't matter if you've been there for one Sunday, you're not even sure who Jesus is, to you're the most seasoned, mature Christian out there. Culture of invitation simply says, you know, it takes a come-and-see approach. Yeah. And hey, God's doing something in my life, God's doing something in the life of this Church come and check it out with me. And so you begin to build that, and I think you do that in a lot of different ways. One is it happens from the pulpit. Two, the staff starts to champion that that value. And, you know, we have amazing staff at St. Luke who does that yeah, all the time. Yeah. Um, three, you know, part of your discipleship process is to build that in. And I know uh, John Duff, our our discipleship pastor, yeah. he's he's really big on that. Yeah, John
0: Duff. So,
1: yeah, John Duff. Um <laughs> You know, so I think you build the culture, and then outside the culture, you begin to develop some training components, whether it's, you know, the studies or what happens on Sunday morning. Um, that That's the start of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's the start of it.
0: Yeah. Why do you think it's so important to equip both men and women to share the gospel and to lead in all areas of the church?
1: Yeah. I'd say first because it's biblical. And, you know, that's what we lose sight of. Yeah. Or let me rephrase that. Some people lose sight of that. Yeah. The original witnesses of the resurrection were the women.
0: Yeah, for sure. I,
1: I, come on. Yeah. I mean, we could probably just stop there. But you get all sorts of snippets all throughout the New Testament. Uh, Luke chapter 8, brilliant uh piece of Scripture Luke has left us with, to really describe that from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, women are an integral part of what's happening. Uh, Book of Acts, you know, you get people like uh, Lydia and Priscilla, and y- you know, it just builds throughout the whole course of the New Testament. So it being biblical, if, if the Scriptures are a witness to God's desire for our lives and for the life of His Church, it seems like that's the right place to start. I think the beauty of God using both men and women to change the world and and bring in the kingdom of God is that um, women have an opportunity to reach people in a way that men can't. Um, th- the way that uh, a woman can appeal to other women, I, I recognize there's a limitation to some degree. I- I'm not limiting the gospel, I'm simply saying that you know, God is able to use men and women both, but in different ways at times, to reach uh, people within the Church. Mm-hmm. And so recognizing that, culturally speaking, I, I think is huge. Uh, and, you know, the distinctives that men and women bring to ministry are are an important part of, of who we are and, and the way that we're called to, to serve. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, how... Because this podcast is going to release in March, um, because it's International Women's Day, and we're talking to different leaders, male and female, about um, women in leadership and ways that um, we can support and help them. So I thought it'd be interesting to ask you, from a man's perspective, Mm -hmm. how can men support women in ministry as pastors, as leaders, as, you know, whatever it is that you have the opportunity to support them in?
1: Sure. Sure. Maybe I'm coming at this because theology is sort of my academic gig. Yeah,
0: yeah, I saw that.
1: Um, Correct the theology, the bad theology that's out there is one thing. Uh, Maybe the starting place that men can begin to help redirect the conversation. Mm -hmm. And for those voices who get a lot of airtime, wouldn't it be just as great as men taking the opportunity to say, well, actually, on both biblical and theological grounds, what you're saying is incoherent or incorrect, or, hey, we see things a different way, whatever angle you want to take, uh, but beginning to correct the narrative or shape the narrative, mm-hmm. I think that's the starting place. Mm-hmm. Uh, encourage.
0: Yeah, because y- there are several—I'm sorry, I No, you. please. Yeah, there are several— Uh, women in leadership positions on staff at St. Luke. Mm -hmm. So, yeah.
1: Encourage. And especially as young women, teens, young ladies are being raised up in the Church, as they begin to feel God's call, they might need a bit more time and attention and encouragement to, hey, maybe you've got a calling. Let's explore that. Let's take the time to sit down, and let's process it, and tell me what you're thinking. Tell me how you're feeling. What's God doing in your life? What are the gifts and fruit that you're starting to see? And, and really encourage that. I don't know... It seems like there's, there's this uh, thread that happens for people entering ministry where where, uh, those who are in positions of leadership will say, well, if you can do anything else, do that before you become a pastor. And and I get that to Mm -hmm. some degree, but here are impressionable um, men and women of God who are seeking to know what God really wants for their lives, and if there's a call there and you discern it... You know, encourage yeah. men and women, and women especially, where they're going to get all sorts of cultural uh, stuff thrown yeah. at them. Encourage them, hey, run after it with all your heart.
0: Yeah, because I think some—I mean, I am not a woman in official ministry in the church, but I think— What are you doing right now? Well, <laughs> true, but I mean, as when we talk about women in ministry, I think pastors and things like that— But there's a, you know, a lot of. I think for women in those kinds of roles, they have more. um, Their call doesn't get validated as quickly.
1: I would agree. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. Actually, it's sad. You know, if anything, men have the opportunity in those moments to say, "Hey, this is what we see. This is." what we know you're called to. We want to validate. Yeah. And we want to encourage and we want to lift you up.
0: Yeah. And even mentor because off the podcast, you were telling me that you were mentoring a student at the seminary. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Can you tell me about that? Not without getting too personal. Can you talk to me a little bit about mentoring? I've
1: probably walked with three or four uh, women who have been or are in a ministerial role, and it's just, I think it's amazing to watch and to see the stories of transformation God is authoring, and then just really try to help him hone in on where am I gifted, and what am I being called to, and how does the process work, and encourage along the way, and for the naysayers just say, well, you know, if if you don't have anybody coming (laughs) against you, like, You're not, you're not doing it right (laughs) Right. or something because that's just how it works. It doesn't matter whether, you know, who you are, if you're a man or a woman or whatever, you're going to get the naysayers and, and just take the opportunity to mentor and encourage and, and be that sounding board for people. So I I enjoy doing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to talk about before we end the podcast that we haven't already talked about?
1: Um... No, I just, you know, given the fact that the podcast is geared towards uh, the celebration of women in ministry, I just want to affirm that, you know, women in ministry, it's biblical, Um, our culture needs it, and really I think there's opportunity to lift up women in places of leadership and in pulpits to, uh, you know, proclaim the gospel and change the world. And we need to do that. I mean, we got one of the best female preachers in the country, I think, right here in the uh, the Asbury pulpit. Um,
0: oh, yes, for sure.
1: Jessica. Yeah, exactly. So I was... I got to tell this story. Okay, yeah, please. I was at... Uh, we were having coffee with an Asbury professor, and, and I won't lift up his name. I'll just say that uh, it's, it's a man. And as we're making the appointment to meet, and this person's been a mentor to me. Uh, he says now, I got to be honest with you. Like I can meet for an hour and it's going to be great to see you, but at this time I'm leaving cuz Jessica's preaching that day. <laughs> and I'm like, "Hey man, I get it." So, you know, That's I awesome. just what a great affirmation of her yeah. and her ministry here and I think I think moments like that we need more of. Mhm. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I'm hopeful to see that in this next generation of of leaders in the church.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yep. For sure. So here's a question that we always ask everybody as we wrap up the podcast. So because the show is called The Thrive with Asbury Seminary Podcast, what is one practice that can be spiritual or something else that is helping you thrive in your life right now?
1: Solitude.
0: (laughs) What does solitude look like for you?
1: Yeah, I'm a very extroverted person. I love being around people, but I've really come to value the time of just being alone uh, as a way to recharge and to be present with God. Um, there's the Scripture, Book of Exodus, and forgive me, I'm not going to be able to give you a chapter and <laughs> verse right now.
0: We'll revoke your MDiv right you now. You <laughs> should.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm telling you what, all my uh, Old Testament professors would chide me right now. But the essence of the text is that... Um, And Moses was alone on the mountain with God. And I think uh, what I've come to appreciate, especially in the last four or five years, is that having that time away from the church building, away from uh, the church community, um, and just being alone in God's presence... Mm -hmm. Is so life giving, and I, and, you know, I don't think you have to travel to the other side of the world. Uh, I've gone to Saint Minrid a mm-hmm. number of times uh, to do this. Uh, I might just go take a long walk in the middle of nowhere uh, to do this, but it's it's been life giving.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. In a podcast conversation I was having this morning, we were talking about how we can just fill up our lives with so much stuff and never have to deal with anything or feel our feelings or anything like that so yeah yeah, so needed yeah yeah so well thanks so much brian i have really enjoyed getting to know you better because you're my pastor but i've never had the opportunity to really just sit down and talk to you mostly because i just see you on sunday mornings and say hi and we talk about the cats and (laughs) go (laughs) on so i've really enjoyed this and i am just so grateful for getting to hear your perspective and the work that you're doing. So thank you.
1: I love what you're doing, Heidi. Keep up the great work and I'm humbled to get the chance to spend the day with you.
0: Thank you, you're kind. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Brian. I don't know about y'all, but I really enjoyed the opportunity to get to know him better and just appreciate his honesty and the wisdom that he has from his journey and for his sharing that with us. Just so grateful for the work that he and his family are doing in the world. So I hope you all enjoyed the conversation as well. Until next time, hope you all have a great day and go do something that helps you thrive.